Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program today. I hope you've been enjoying these timely teachings from the prophet Joel, even as I have necessarily gone deeper into these three short chapters I'm beginning to see some extremely important parallels to the critical events of the nations that they're facing in this particular season. Economies are struggling, viral infections mounting with with governments enforcing restrictions like not seen before. All while tensions mount in the streets of the cities across America in the midst of increasing racial tensions and, and seeming political polarization and chaos. It goes to validate, at least in my mind, the prophecies of Joel, particularly our our journey into chapter 3 in this episode, actually carry more weight for these future events we've been talking about than those in Joel's day. Let me say, it's not casual, easy listening elevator music we're, we're teaching here. These prophecies require our full attention and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit going forward. Joel 3 is going to get right at it. The prophet takes us up to the edge and into the millennium, the final 1,000-year period God will use to test hearts globally of the people remaining on the earth during and after the Great Tribulation. The critical question will hinge on the issue of Israel, the land, and the people. Literally, this is the most significant time period in history as God transitions the earth into a new age. Chapter 3 describes the final battle for Jerusalem and ultimately the, the judgment of the nations that participate. Let me say there is a judgment of a severe kind that will impact the nations surrounding Israel who take part in the battle against Jerusalem. Let's take a look at uh, a brief outline of Joel 3. It'll make it a little easier to navigate this important chapter. There are two sections, each having several parts. First, the assault on Israel and the judgment of the nations in verses 1 through 16. The assault, God's challenge to the nations that leveled the assault and the Father's protection of Israel and judgment on her enemies. Secondly, the restoration of Israel in verses 17 through 21. Those are important verses. Restoration of the people, the land, and God's avenging of the blood of the Jews. So in section one, there's a, there's a focus on the devastation of the land as God gathers the nations to Israel. Yeah, to Israel for the final judgment. It's perhaps the most graphic description of God's fury against a rebellious people as he mocks the nations who seek Israel's annihilation. These passages emphasize God's zeal to defend his people, the land, and the destruction of his enemies. And in section two, five short verses pivot to restoration of Israel after the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes to destroy Israel's enemies and and permanently settle them in the land. These verses emphasize the avenging of Jewish blood on the heads of the Middle East nations surrounding Israel that take part in the final assault on the covenant nation. These verses will take us right up and into the initial stages of the millennial kingdom. 
Let's read the first three verses of the chapter. For behold, in those days and at that time, that's an important timing indicator. For behold, in those days, the days we're going to talk about, and at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them on, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. That's a, that is a future scattering. They've also divided up my land. They've cast lots for my people, have given a boy as a payment for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Now, there, there's something extremely important we see in these three verses. We see a return, a restoration, while verse 2 points clearly to a coming judgment on the nations that violated the covenant. Clearly future. It's also clear the phrase, in those days and at that time, is a common formula that the prophets used for, for the time that God will make good on his promise to Israel of a return to the land and restoration. It's also the time he will fulfill his long-threatened determination to gather all the nations, particularly those surrounding the Jewish state, into a divine reckoning. Joel 3, as with other prophets, enlists the language of Armageddon, the great day of God Almighty. This is language of a final cataclysmic warfare that points to the end of the age. Now, in recent years, the subject of, of dividing the land for peace has been championed by Israel's neighbors and, and even some in the international community. This is not the dividing of the land that's in view in Joel 3. This is the prophesied future dividing of the land by the Antichrist, as we see in Daniel chapter 11. And this is a, a very, very important distinction. He, the Antichrist, shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. This is the dividing of the land that is simultaneous with the Great Tribulation, the scattering of Israel that, that sends many into the wilderness among the nations. The present geopolitical landscape in the Middle East, with whispers of peace in the south and ongoing saber-rattling in the north, leaves us with the question whether a future war that, that goes in Israel's favor may pave the way for a future peace, or a future coalition of Israel and its southern neighbors, Saudi Arabia and Egypt in particular, may put the nation, the covenant nation, in a, in a compromising position. As yet, we just don't know. But what we do know is that Israel's neighbors to the north, Turkey, is announcing publicly in these days its goal of reviving the caliphate lost to the Arab nations a hundred years ago with the collapse of the Ottoman Empire at the end of World War I. These clear prophetic events are harbingers of a, a future peace to be initiated at the start of the first three and a half years, leading to the rise of the Antichrist and the abomination that will cause desolation. Listen to Daniel 11.23. 
And after the league, that's the peace, is made with him, the Antichrist, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and be strong with the small people. These are future events, happenings that uh, may begin to appear in the near future, especially if we take careful note of the current health, political, and economic crisis at home and globally. Well, all that said, there's some welcome news on the horizon. It's important to remember the conditions of these disquieting prophecies in Joel 3 are in the context of Joel 2, verses 28 through 32. And my friends, that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the day of the Lord. This military crisis and the outpouring occur simultaneously. It's clear from Scripture the church the church will be prepared for these events in the preliminary years leading to the Great Tribulation. A church without spot and wrinkle, people of extraordinary wisdom filled with the Spirit, most recently poured out in travail and intercession with strategies, divine mandates for the days ahead. That church will spearhead a global revival that will see millions of souls come into the kingdom before and during the Great Tribulation. Listen, between Joel 2.28 and 3.3, there are, there are five concurrent events. Number one, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which we just mentioned. Number two, a, a supernatural deliverance for those who call on the name of the Lord. Number three, terrifying signs in the heavens. Four, liberation of the Jews in the prison camps. Well, let's listen to this in Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness, and I will hold your hand. I, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes. This is Jesus. This is Messiah coming. To open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Again, in Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and listen, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, I realize that these verses are frequently spiritualized. Certainly believers worldwide are appointed to preach the gospel, minister to the poor, and, and bring a healing message of the Holy Spirit to the brokenhearted. But in fact, when Jesus returns, he, he, Jesus, will release Jews who have been scattered and imprisoned. And then the, the fifth event, God will bring judgment to the anti-Semitic nations. Joel chapter 3, verse 2, I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment with them there on, on account of my people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They've also divided up my land. We must note that these five events that I just talked about will, will occur in the same time frame referred to in verse 1, in those days, those future days, and at that time. 
God has a controversy with the Jewish people and their land by virtue of the covenant he made with them and their resulting disobedience. Moses called it a quarrel with the covenant. Isaiah used the term the controversy of Zion to describe how the quarrel manifests itself throughout history. But secondly, and and just as important, the nations have a controversy with the Jewish people and, and the land by virtue of the same covenant and the social, political, and spiritual complexities associated with that promise. Angel Gabriel called it rage against the Holy Covenant. And certainly that rage will be played out when Satan is cast to the earth, only to take up residence in a man of sin, the Antichrist, an event that begins the Great Tribulation the final three and a half years. Listen, when rebellious, disobedient nations persistently rage against God's covenant with Israel, there's a significant price to be paid. This covenant is irrevocable. As God said, Israel will never cease from being a nation before me. And the church, by the way, would do well to settle that issue. You know, we must agree the season is changing in the Middle East and, for that matter, around the globe. There's a coming clash of the the mysteries spoken of in the Bible and most notably revealed as the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of iniquity. Listen to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great, great is the mystery of godliness, the gospel. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. The mystery of the gospel is something much more than hidden in God. It is that. But it's spoken of by the prophets, arranged in a form and manner that was divinely calculated to conceal the cross and the knowledge that Jesus would come twice until the appointed time. Paul says we're to teach the gospel according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. But now, but now in this time frame is being manifest by the scriptures and the prophets to be made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. This, of course, is the apocalyptic gospel or apocalyptic evangelism for that matter. That is the gospel and evangelism presented by a church prepared in persecution and, yes, even in martyrdom. Then Paul reveals that there's a mystery of iniquity in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness, or iniquity, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Let me say the mystery of lawlessness, iniquity, has been going strong since the garden when God alerted the devil that although you may bruise the heel of the Messiah... Jesus will, in fact, crush your head. God's season of these two great mysteries and their collision at the end of the age will be the divine convergence of his chronological clock and his divine appointed clock, his chronos, the time clock that he uses and we use too, and his kairos, which he uses, his divine breaking in into history. 
And the church of Jesus Christ will have a role in that final outcome. Let's look at some of the trends and events that will unfold as we get closer to the Lord's return. Israel and the Jewish people will progressively become more isolated and scorned by the international community. Political aggression outside the church will be the fruit of Israel's guilt, media bias, satanic slander, and geopolitical strife. While political aggression inside the church will be the fruit of theological views that suggest Israel's illegitimacy in God's plan for the nations. Now, all that said, peace will come about, actually by way of a very charismatic man from the north at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, paving the way for Israel to take possession of Temple Mount, begin sacrifices, and build a temple. We looked into that event in much, much greater detail in a previous episode, The Covenant, A Sacrifice, and a Temple. I urge you to check that out in our Critical Must series. However, that season of peace will be dramatically brought to a violent end as Antichrist initiates the final invasion of Israel and siege of Jerusalem that begins the Great Tribulation. Listen to Joel in verse 9. Joel 3, 9 through 11, proclaim this among the nations, prepare for war, wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near, let them them come up, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Verse 11, assemble and come all you nations and, and gather together all around, cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Jesus will return and terminate the Great Tribulation, execute the Antichrist, and and imprison Satan for a thousand years. Zechariah 14, Revelation 19 and 20 describe this in great detail. Joel, however, points to a glorious future. Listen to verse 17. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy, and and no alien shall ever pass through her again. But Judah shall abide forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will acquit them of the guilt of bloodshed, whom I had not acquitted, for the Lord dwells in Zion." What a conclusion to this stunning prophecy. Jesus will establish his government in Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, inaugurate the the millennial kingdom by the exaltation of the Jews who survived the Great Tribulation. Listen, all who are left will celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want to repeat what I said at the beginning of this episode. What Joel was to a dark and devastated Judah, the forerunner is to a church in transition. It will be that transitional generation in the church, and I suggest that generation will be primarily young adults that will boldly step out and have strong, bold spiritual answers for the age-ending radical shifts in the political, social, economic, and religious climate on the earth. You know, we'll be uh, looking much more closely at that forerunner generation in our next episodes. 
It's so exciting to see what God plans for the very near future. I'm Bill Nordstrom. God bless you. We'll see you next time.